Well, hello there. It's time for an Eid message. It's about time I did a little more something and shared a few more thoughts. And I tell you, it is such a precious Eid this year. I mean, the whole world is falling apart, and yet there are glimmers of hope. And not for everybody. Ostensibly, things look very bad on first impressions in many parts of the world. Poor India, for goodness sake. And Palestine is oh, in pain. And well, talk about Palestine. Let's talk about, first off, let's talk about some sort of theme for this conversation we're about to have. Paul Guttridge, an old friend of mine who heads initiatives of change in the UK, reminded me the other day that David, you know, King David, is, <laughs> is, is kind of highly regarded in Islam and Christianity and Judaism. I always liked King David because. He was a rank sinner, wasn't he? I mean, God, talk about somebody who misbehaved on a massive scale. Murderer, adulterer, oh, so many things he did wrong, and yet God used him. That's actually a consolation for many of us. And I, I think that because if God can use broken vessels, then he can use any of us, can't he? I mean, David was interesting. He was not particularly proud. He rode around on a donkey, after all, for goodness sake. Jesus Christ copied him in that. Yeah, king on a donkey. He wasn't particularly proud. He was a little guy, and he used five pebbles, five smooth round pebbles he took from a stream or bed, I think it was, to set himself up to go after Gal. Goliath, the giant. Why five pebbles? He only needed one to kill the thing, and he killed him straight off. But he selected five smooth round pebbles. Some say Goliath had five brothers, whatever, or four brothers. It would be four brothers, and Goliath makes five, doesn't it? Whatever, and he was he was setting himself up for a bigger task still than the one he achieved. But he did enough with the one pebble. If you had five pebbles, if you were there, you know, the little guy or the little. The little woman, the little man, striking, striking a blow for a better world. I mean, where would you fling them? What would you target? What would be your objective? I, don't know, I was thinking about this. I was just thinking, what are the five great concerns? Actually, they shift, don't they? Each moment creates a, a different feeling. Uh, for me, at this instant in time, you just freeze things, freeze frame. Then it's Syria, Afghanistan. Israel and Palestine, count those as one. Yemen and Lebanon, those are those are the issues that burn in my heart at the moment. Uh, you might have five different issues. You might have all sorts of things. And some people are so burdened with their own concerns with things like debt and and oh, COVID and all of this that they, they haven't got time to lift themselves from the mire and, and look out. But I tell you one thing I have found in my life is if you can focus out, if you can focus on other people's troubles, it does help immensely because it lifts your heart from the things that, that distress you. Another good, actually, there's another good mechanism I discovered just the other day, and I will mention it to you because it was, it was kind of sweet. It was from Ayatollah Safavi, my old friend and mentor, and he said, William, repeat the word salam a hundred times when you're feeling down. And you can do that quite easily if you've got a set of worry beads. You know, it's just three times around the beads. Anyway, salam, salam, salam. You can sing it. Salam, salam. Anyway, I tried that, actually. It was quite calming, to be honest, when I was feeling 
pretty stressed out. And, and, and why was it calming? I have no idea, but it was. The word salam, of course, means peace. <laughs> We're all striving for that. We all dream of peace. You know, Christians sing these hymns. There's this hymn they used to sing at church. Lead me not into still pastures. It's a sort of a contrary uh, hymn, as opposed to the 23rd Psalm, you know, the 23rd Psalm. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. Lead me beside still waters, etc. And I never would sing that hymn because I always would like a little peace. I don't want to be in rough, stormy seas. We always are, of course. But I, I digress. Yeah, the word salam means peace in an action way. You know, I mean, it means real peace. It's like a physical thing. <sighs> like the word love in the scriptures the word love in the scriptures in the in in the old testament new testament the quran whatever the old scriptures doesn't mean some sort of wishy-washy thing where you yeah love your neighbor it's not the thing where you just sit there and say oh what a nice neighbor i've got that is meaningless love is an action word in in the scriptures it means you know do something right offer him a cup of tea or her you know, I mean, um, it's an action word. If you're going to sit there in your little closet and love your neighbor, you're doing no good to any soul on earth. Just go and sit in a toadstool and enjoy it. But you're not, <laughs> that's not love as in the scriptures. That's not love your enemies. That's just nothing. But uh, yeah, so the same with peace. Peace is an action thing. So we're supposed to live together and and be at peace with one another. And that was the thing that um, John Kimshi, wasn't it, used to say. David Kimshi's brother, you know, the great journalist, John Kimshi, the Jewish journalist, who's dead now for some years. But he always said there's a difference between peace and concord. Or you can um, you can have a, a kind of a truce, if you like. I never did like ceasefires, temporary pieces. Um, you can have a truce or you can live together side by side and lay down your arms. But you are not at peace until you live with each other. And he was so right about that. So my five pebbles, Syria, Afghanistan, Israel and Palestine, Yemen, Lebanon. Syria, I mean, come on, guys, let's throw a pebble. Who should we throw it at? Well, the West are irrelevant at the moment with regard to Syria. Russia matters and Bashar al-Assad matters. Pretty much nobody else, really, in Syria. I think what I would like is to see Russia to man up to dealing with its constitutional negotiations. I mean, it's the it's chosen to be the deliverer of the new constitution for Syria. It's sitting on top of these constitutional negotiations that have gone nowhere for, what, years and years. Just a gravy train for fat cat opposition and government people who sit there and in their five-star hotels and chat. And yeah, they don't want the gravy train to end, so they'll never write a constitution. A new constitution for Syria? Yeah, we need that. We need new genuine elections. There, there are elections coming up in Syria, what, in, in 10 days or something? Well, 20 days, I don't know, 20, 15 days anyway, something like that from now. 26th of May, they have elections in Syria, but these are not open elections. They'll include elections for the president, but they're just stage managed, I guess, bless them. But we need we need a new constitution and then proper elections. And there is talk of this. There's talk of an interim government in Syria leading to elections. So this means uh, Bashar al-Assad steps aside. Let's hope for it. Bashar, you've had your shot at things. Time for you to step back a little and allow this process to take place. Because without allowing this process to take place, then we won't 
ever see Syria get out from under the heel of the boot of Western sanctions, which cripple so many countries in the world. Yeah. Oh, we can't intervene in Syria, so let's just sanction them. The easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy option for the cowardly West. Just punish the people. Sanction Iran. Sanction Syria. Who else can we sanction? Lebanon. Sanction them. Yes, do it. That's like we did it to Iraq. And watch the babies die. Oh, you think I'm joking? I've been in Iraq under sanctions, under Saddam Hussein's time. Yeah, you can blame Saddam for the dying children at that time. But Western sanctions had a good bit to do with it. No, I mean, they were very cruel then. The elites never suffer under sanctions. Believe you me, it's the poor to get it in the neck. Anyway, Syria, pick up a pebble and throw it there. We need... We need... Russia to act. Russia is in the lead here on Syria, and Russia alone can deliver a genuine, lasting peace to Syria. Now then, second pebble, Afghanistan. Did you see, did you see all those cool girls killed? By who? By the blooming Taliban. Oh, they denied they did it? Of course they did it. Since darling President Biden announced that he would remove troops from Afghanistan on 9-11, what possessed him what mental aberration to use that day 9-11 to say i will pull out troops on 9-11 oh on what is it the 20th anniversary of of that horrible event which was committed on under the taliban's watch by al-qaeda who had refuge in afghanistan at that time you know kaisal khazali the nasty piece of work in iraq that's um, no, the guy that kidnapped all those brits and killed them He's taken inspiration from President Biden. He said, look, 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 America's going out on 9-11. We must do the same to free Iraq of America. Uh, I suppose we don't need to be in Iraq any longer. I mean, there, mind you, Daesh is resurgent in Iraq. But I wasn't going to talk about Iraq. I'm talking about Afghanistan at the moment. Iraq is interesting, but I don't want to sidetrack too much. Afghanistan, there is a catastrophe because the West is besotted with the Taliban and is negotiating with the Taliban who don't give a damn about women and children and their education and who are out of touch with reality. Many of the Taliban leaders have been in Guantanamo, for God's sake. I mean, they don't really... They're they're completely out of touch with reality and without touch with the Afghanistan of today. And now these people, we're going to give them control of Afghanistan. We're going to surrender this country to them. You know, since Biden's announcement that on 9-11, we pull out the troops since that moment, they've switched their attack. They've stopped attacking Western troops. Yeah, they've had victory, haven't they? They, They're now attacking, I mean, huge resonance for them. Huge sense of victory, 9-11. We've triumphed on 9-11. We crushed the West on 9-11 again 20 years later. So now they're, they're what? They switched their attack. They're no longer attacking Western troops. They're attacking Afghans. Complete focus on Afghans, on Afghan soldiers, Afghan civilians. They want to terrorize Afghanistan now, the Afghans in Afghanistan, and forget the Western troops. They know the West is going full stop. So they know where to focus their fire and they want to terrorize Afghans because they want to come in like like the whirlwind 
and take over on 9-11. And we've created this catastrophe. Is there a way out? Yes, of course there is. The Taliban are dependent on Pakistan for refuge, for supply lines, and their families. I mean, you know that the Pashto community runs right across Pakistan and Afghanistan. Pashtos in Pakistan call themselves Afghan. Oh, yes, they do. But the Taliban knuckle under in in Pakistan. In Pakistan, they allow female education, not in the areas they control in Afghanistan. They may mouth the right words in the Doha talks, but no, they don't allow female education in the areas under their control. So, so what? Pakistan has humongous influence over the Taliban and can make them toe the line. So it's a question of bringing Pakistan into the talks, not the others, Mr. Biden. You said the, all of all of everybody, the China and Uncle Tom Cobbley and all should come into the talks. No, no, that messes things up. Bring Pakistan in full stop, not India, Pakistan. Pakistan are the elephant in the room. They make the difference. Bring them in and start Pakistan-Afghan talks if you want. But really, they are the big player. They're the big player because they can whistle and bring the Taliban to heel. Oh, yes, they can. And not much time now to act, but you can act. Now, let's throw a pebble at Afghanistan, and particularly at President Biden, to wake him up. Sleepy Joe, wake up. Watch what you're doing in the world. Watch what you're doing to the children of Afghanistan, the women and children of Afghanistan. Okay, my third pebble, our third pebble. Let's kick it. Well, throw it at Israel and Palestine. Israel and Palestine, it's one issue. They're one people to all intents and purposes. For goodness sake, they're genetically pretty much the same and <laughs> linguistically pretty much the same. What's peace in Hebrew? Shalom in Arabic, salam. I mean, they're, they're the same people. And yet these two cousins slit each other's throats. Unbelievable, really. And what's the... I mean, okay, Sheikh Jarrah, they're demolishing some houses... They can, the Palestinians can take that to the court. That's, uh, that's a trigger for all this upset and unhappiness. I mean, yeah, it's a misdeed on by part of Israel, but nonetheless, it's a trigger to the real cause, root cause, cancellation of the Palestinian elections, in my view. And why have the Palestinian elections been cancelled? Because Abu Mazin said they had to be cancelled. And what was Abu Mazin's excuse? Because Israel won't allow East Jerusalemites to vote. Oh, okay, okay. They're postponed, not cancer, but same deal. Well, I mean, it's very convenient for Fatah that these elections have been cancelled, postponed then, because Fatah would not have done well on the West Bank. It's very convenient for Hamas that they've been cancelled or postponed, because Hamas would not have done well in Gaza. These are the incumbents. And they really, people are feeling a bit grumpy about them. Uh, Hamas might have done okay on the West Bank, and Fatah might have done okay in Gaza. But for Hamas not to do well on its own patch, and Fatah not to do well on its own patch, is a humiliation for both of them. And let's face it, they wouldn't. So maybe it's very lucky for them, both that Israel has offered the out and so short-sighted of Israel. Why does Israel want the Palestinian elections delayed? Why does it throw this stumbling block in the way of these elections? 
Because? Because Marwan Baguti would have won. And Marwan Baguti winning would be an endorsement in a fine backhanded way of a peace process. And Netanyahu is not ready for a peace process. Because Marwan Baguti, as you know, is the jailed Palestinian Nelson Mandela. Oh, come on, guys. Just why not have peace, Mr. Netanyahu? It's not. Is it? Is it that bad a thing? Instead of slinging these rockets back and forth and all this violence and achieves nothing. But peace is achievable in Palestine. I mean, Abu Mazin, if he had courage, of course, asking a lot, I know, but he, he could have let the elections go forward. He could have, what, a postal vote in East Jerusalem or perhaps um, just just deferred the vote in East Jerusalem. Yeah, <laughs> Well, I mean, you you reckon we can't elect a Palestinian president with uh, leaving the East Jerusalemites out? Well, you give the, you give Israel the veto then. No, let's get on with it. Is my idea. I mean, Abu Mazen is always likes to give Israel the veto. Of course, he does that with the peace talks themselves. We won't talk peace while settlement building continues. You know, I've said this before. Uh, Abu Mazen, come on. We won't talk peace while settlement building continues. So it's fine. Great, says Bibi Netanyahu. I'll build another settlement. I mean, come on. Always finding a way out, Abu Mazen. Always, always. Anyway, he's what he is. He's a dinosaur. He's as ancient as the hills. And he shuffles around. And it is long overdue. He's long due to have gone from the stage, and he still lingers on with his dead. Israel's going to have another election soon. Fifth election this year. That'll be exciting. Or will it? It might be. See, there are glimmers of hope here. There are glimmers of hope. There are possibilities. Israel will have another election. Because it can't seem to form a properly functioning government. And that is a glimmer of hope. You remember that the Arabs kind of hold the balance of power. Every East Jerusalemite that can should get out and vote in this, those Israel elections when they occur. That'll be a wake-up call. I bet you Netanyahu's secret joy or hope or dream is that having having stopped the elections in East Jerusalem for the Palestinian Assembly, then the East Jerusalemites who have Israeli citizenship will not vote in Israel's election, and that will reduce the threat to him of the Arab vote. Yeah. Yeah, it'll reduce the threat of the Arab vote. No, I mean, yeah. We, we, need, we need to throw a stone or two at the, who, at the president of Israel who should call another election because Netanyahu can't form a government properly, at Abu Mazin, we should let the Palestinian elections go ahead. We need something because people are fed up, gone on long enough. Israelis themselves are fed up. Come on, guys. Now then, not quite last, the other, but another one more pebble. Let's chuck another pebble. At Lebanon. At Lebanon. Why is Lebanon not formed a government properly? Because you're asking, the president's asking a man who is who's a failure from the past to come forward again. I mean, what does Lebanon need? Lebanon needs a kind of get away from sectarian politics. It needs it needs a bicameral legislation, and what it's too easy to do. It needs to implement the Taif Agreement. You just you just let the uh, existing parliament all take seats in the upper house, the whole whack of them, and form a new upper house, and then have a lower house elected on one nation constituency, one nation constituency. So, you know, not multiple constituencies, so we don't get back into this 
sectarianism in the lower house. Yeah, it's a good good system, actually. I mean, Iraq pre-Maliki had one nation constituency. Not a bad approach at all, really. Yeah, that, that, let's go that way. Israel is a one nation constituency, for that matter. Works very well with countries with a lot of minorities. And yes, we can have an election in Lebanon and have a new chance for Lebanon. Uh, election on a bicameral assembly. Okay, final pebble. What was the last le- we said? Lebanon, Yemen, Yemen, Yemen is burning, still burning, and the world has turned its back on a starving, dying, COVID-ridden, miserable country. And peace talks sponsored by Oman have been ongoing. Oman and others have been doing great work. Well, come on, guys. It's easy enough. Just regional assemblies, one for the north, one for the south, or or you can have you can split it different ways, but but let the people have some kind of devolved government in Yemen. Just get on with it. A peace these are easy peace negotiations. The the stumbling block are people like Saudi Arabia and the Emirates who have particular agendas that and they're differing agendas now, of course. But a little pressure, a little interest from the international community. We could see successful peace talks on Yemen. And why not? Why not? Let's um, let's move things forward. It's time. It's time to do that. Yemen has bled long enough. And we don't need to... I mean, nobody likes the Houthis. But except them, we have to get on with it. I mean, nobody likes the Houthis. Why? Because they're so aggressive and repressive but we should get on i mean let yemen govern yemen big power step aside let's throw a stone at yemen that's suffered long enough there those are my five stones you might have five different stones i mean you might care about Kashmir, or you might care about china gosh china irritates me very often you might have things you want to throw stones at but make sure you throw a stone or two that's the point be like david man up and throw a stone because otherwise, it's your fault what's happening in the world today. <laughs> yeah, because inaction means means you're not loving. Love is not a passive thing. It's an active thing. And we do need to love the world. God bless you this Eid. And God bless the world. Let's hope for a better year ahead. Okay, thank you.